You know, it, it seems to me that Christians ought to be the, the most joyful people in the world, shouldn't we? Shouldn't we? I mean, the problem that we have is, is that you've got so many people, they come to church, and they've got those looks on their faces. I mean, I like what Mark Lowry said about the look on the faces. It says, he said it looks like they've been sink, uh, sucking oatmeal through a gas pipe. You know how big a gas pipe is? Kind of really can't get that oatmeal through that thing, and you've got that look on their faces. And you understand, why is it that we should all look like Eeyore on, uh, you know, the, uh, Winnie the Pooh? You know, the, you know the story about Eeyore, don't you? Christopher, Christopher Robin had a stuffed donkey. And the stuffed donkey had lost the stuffing in his neck. And because he'd lost the stuffing in his neck, his, his neck wouldn't stay up anymore. So he flopped forward all the time. And so Eeyore is always presented as somebody who is always looking down. If you're always looking down, you're never looking up. Do you understand what I'm saying? And so that when that happens, they're always saying, oh, woe is me. How bad things are going to be. And too many Christians are doing that sort of of thing. Now, at Christmas, sometimes they, you know, liven up just a little bit. But a lot of times, I mean, I'm just afraid, I think they're afraid Santa Claus won't come if they don't do that. But reality is, is that we should have that joy all of the time. Now, I've realized, I've even talked to some Christians and they'll say this. Well, if you always expect the worst, then you'll never be disappointed. Let me tell you, there's two flaws in that. That's very wrong, but it's, too, it's wrong. It's, it's got two flaws. One is, how do you know what the worst is? Maybe it's going to be worse than your worst. Do you understand that? Now, that's not, uh, you know, it's not encouraging, but it is certainly, uh, it may be true. And so what happens, you're still disappointed because your worst wasn't the worst that it could get. And the second thing is, is that we don't live by fate. We don't live and say, you know what, I'm, I'm going to, if I, if I act this way, then I'm going to start seeing that it's going to be better than what I'm going to act. That isn't the way that it works. Life is not a matter of fate. So let's look at those shepherds. Those shepherds who, uh, they had a very difficult life uh, in uh uh, Israel. They had a very difficult life because they were very nomadic. They went from place to place. They weren't necessarily liked by people. And as the, the video said, they even smelled bad. You understand? Uh, I talked to, um, when I was over in Israel one time, I talked about it because you go out into the, there's a place called the Shepherd's Field. And there's really shepherds, really shepherds that are still out there tending their flocks. Not by night, but they're tending the flocks in the daytime when you see them there. And, and the ones that I've seen, they're all wearing uh, black wool. I don't know if that was uh, what they wore back then, but I mean, it was a black wool. And I said, you know, I especially went there one time. I was there and it was in June. It was 106 degrees and they're out there in this, this dark, you know, heavy wool stuff. And I'm going, they got to be, you know, dying out there in this stuff. And so I asked and our guide, uh, she said to me, she said, well, I went out to see what it was like. I went out and I, I, I wanted to see how the, how the shepherds were, were living like this. And she says, believe it or not, when you begin to sweat, you, it wicks the, the moisture away from your skin and it cools you down. It's like an air conditioning system on the inside. And then she said, in about three days, you get used to the smell, you know, because that's what happens. And so you want to be around other shepherds. Because nobody else really wants you around as far as that goes. So you can understand what should they have expected in their life. Well, let me tell you some of the things that I've learned from reading this scripture. First, joy comes to us when we're going about our business. We're just going about our business. And the, the very nature of God interrupting us sometimes is to bring that joy to us. Let's look at uh, Luke chapter 2, verse 8. 
And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. Now this is a, uh, something that these shepherds were minding their own business. Now, let me get something out of the way. I always want to do this because I'm afraid that people are going to say, well, you know, how could they have been doing that on, oh, you know, December the 25th? Well, we do not know when Jesus was born. Uh, what we do know is, is that it wasn't so cold that the shepherds would have uh, pulled their sheep in. They were out watching their, their sheep by night. So we don't know what time of the year it was going on, uh, but we can safely say it was not yet winter. I mean, we can say that, you know, we can, we can sing all the songs about it, but, you know, it's obvious these shepherds are out there watching their field by night, watching their flocks by night. Now, here's what would happen. The shepherds would put all their flocks together, and the, way they, the reason they could do that is because the sheep learned the voice of their own shepherd. You, you probably heard that in the scripture somewhere, where Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. They would have understood that when that was said because that is exactly what would happen. And so they could put all of their flocks together. They could all gather together. They could get around a campfire. They could tell stories. They could do whatever they wanted to do in terms of of what was going on with their flock by night. And in the morning when they were ready to separate their flocks, their shepherds could call out their their sheep and those sheep would separate themselves from the other sheep and they could go along their way pretty neat idea, isn't it? It's the way it worked. But it is safe to say that the shepherds, when they went out that night, when they were there to watch those sheep at that night, they went out with any expectation that it would be different from another night they had. One night looked like all the others. But then God surprises us with joy. He just does that. He surprises us with joy. Now, I want to tell you, I, I like birthdays, but my most depressing birthday was when I turned 30 years of age. And, our, and it wasn't because it was 30, because I was looking forward to that birthday like you cannot imagine. I had such an expectation. Uh, our church, the, the church I was serving in, we were having a whole church picnic, you know. I mean, my birthday's July the 4th, so you understand why the picnic, okay? Got that. So we were having, it was a Wednesday night, and we had taken the, uh, the association, the Baptist churches all had this association, and, and the associational offices, we've used their property because they had a huge uh, grounds, you know, that, that you could be outside with. And, and we had, uh, you know, we did the thing where, you know, the potluck, I mean, I love potlucks because, you know, there's always more than I can eat and there's more, I mean, there's more things than I, than I can eat that even I like is what I like about a potluck. So potlucks are great. And I was going to say, I'm going to have fun. I'm going to, I'm going to go out. We're going to play volleyball. We're going to, uh, you know, we're going to throw horseshoes. We're going to do, and this is my birthday. It's going to be a great time. Well, just after we got settled down to eat at the tables, we're outside, you know, with the, you know, you have the paper plates, which is every church has paper plates, you know, the thinnest that you can buy. And so we had those paper plates and we'd gotten them and, you know, you had to hold on both sides because you put so much food in it, it, it you know, it kind of sagged in the middle. And you get over there and you got to your paper, to your place and you ate. And I was sitting there eating and a thunderstorm came up. Now, I wanted you to know it was not one of those thunderstorms that were, it just simply, you know, the, the rain started falling. It came with an incredible wind to, in the beginning. 
And what happened was is that, I mean, this literally happened. I saw it happen. It picked up several of the people's plates. They were sitting on one side of the, and it threw it right back in their faces. I mean, it was going, you know what people did immediately after that? They picked up all of their stuff, grabbed their own food, put it in their cars, got everything out of the way and got out of there. And I said, what a birthday. No volleyball. I didn't even get to eat all the food that was there. I mean, you know, and, and no, you know, horseshoes and all of that. You know, but I've been caught off guard by joy before. I've been caught off joy, you know, right here in this sanctuary when a spouse of a person who'd been attending here came down the aisle and she said to me he's my one it caught me off guard I mean because we'd been praying we said we're going to be praying for the people we're going to pick one person that we either want to seek closer to the Lord or come to know the Lord and when she kind of whispers over to me he's my one it was her husband and he was coming to make his commitment to Christ, and he was, and we baptized him, and all of that. Joy overwhelmed me. In fact, if you were here, you realized I couldn't even talk, and that's a big deal for me. You know that. That was a big deal. You know, when I got into the Jordan River a few years ago, and I was baptizing people, and I had members from our congregation, and they were in there, and they were, you know, I was baptizing. They wanted to be rebaptized, just in the Jordan River. It's an experience that, you know, you don't have to do. I mean, there's nothing in the Bible that says you've got to be in the Jordan River. So, but they wanted to do, they have that experience, you know. And, and, and I was baptizing people, and all of a sudden I looked up, and there was people that I didn't know. And they were lining up. And I said, I don't know these people. And they said, will you baptize me? Each one of them did. I said, do you know the Lord Jesus Christ? And they said, yes, I do. I said, is he your Savior? Is he your Lord? They said, yes, he is. And so I started baptizing them. I started laughing out loud. This was the most amazing thing. It surprised me. God does that all the time with joy. You see, God brings acts of joy. We sometimes only want to be happy. You see, I wanted to be happy at my birthday. Do you understand the difference? I just wanted to be happy. And happy has something to do with what's happening. And what was happening wasn't all that happy. You see, but happy will never substitute for being joyful. It never will. Okay, let's go on. The joy that God brings can come with such unexpected splendor that it will frighten you. Let's read the next verse. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. See, I would say that many people have never really been caught up in God's glory. I wish they would be. They, they, but let me say this. That if you are caught up in God's glory, the presence of the Lord is so incredibly rich, it can be scary. When Isaiah is caught up in the, the presence of the Lord, in the, chapter 6 of Isaiah, he looks around and says, uh-oh, I'm in the wrong place. I cannot believe I'm in the same place as the Holy One is. 
And it was scary. See, the unexplainable can be scary, like that noise in the dark. That noise in the dark, we don't know what it is. I think that so many people have made God such a a buddy. And they take him so casually that they've never really understood that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And while I realize that if you have given your heart to Jesus Christ, you will never have to worry about any of the wrath of God, the wrath of God could be very scary if you understood what it really was. The wrath of God for those that will not or who have not trusted in him. There is a fear that is there. Now, did the shepherds have any reason to be afraid? No, because there was no harm that was intended for them. But I can tell you something. You can be fearful with no reason to be afraid. For the unknown is fearful because we don't know what is going to happen next. The unknown is not fearful when we walk with the Lord, though, into the unknown. When we walk with the Lord into the unknown, it is no longer fearful. So we, we hold on to what we know. And that, if we hold on to what we know sometimes, that can keep us from the great joy. But if we recognize and go forward in the Lord's presence, it can be scary, but it will be full of joy. Now understand, God does not intend to hurt us. That is not who God is. That's not what his intent is. Let's go into verse 10. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Now, you see, the shepherds are told not to be afraid. Now, I have to be honest with you. That's what's normally said in the Bible, right? You come across an angel, do not be afraid. You come across Jesus walking on the water, don't be afraid. You know what? Somebody telling me, I'm just, it's me, telling me not to be afraid really doesn't help. You know, you shouldn't be afraid. Uh Uh-huh, yeah. I mean, I understand that. But they are told, you shouldn't be afraid. I'm bringing you something of great joy. Maybe we should know that at Christmas more than any other time. But Christmas is a very hard time for a lot of people. In fact, there's, there's a difficulty that they go. So for a lot of people, just the fear of being alone bothers a lot of people at Christmas. And when they look on Facebook, which I think is sometimes the most depressing thing that people can do if they spend too much time on Facebook, they see it, all the people that are having parties and they didn't invite them. And so what's happening to them is, is they don't have the joy that they would have had because they're looking at what's happening around them. I thought I'd give you some of the fears of Christmas. I actually did not realize that. Now that first one is Christogenetichophobia. That should be on the, uh, you know, that national spelling t- uh, B test. I mean, what it is, is, is that it's, it's the actual fear of Christmas. It's maybe associated with some bad things that have happened at Christmas. Uh, that has got to be the longest word that I've ever typed in in my entire life. Then there's cellophobia. Cellophobia is the fear of flashing lights. You know, you put on your Christmas tree, the flashing lights. Some people are afraid of that. You might say, but I'm not afraid of that. Well, some people are. And then there's cisanophobia, the fear of being kissed under the mistletoe. Actually, I really believe that's the fear of being kissed by a certain person under the mistletoe. But in reality, that's what it says. It's the the, uh, uh, fear of being kissed under uh, a mistletoe. Now, I bet just about every one of you have got this fear. 
This is shingenosophobia. It's the fear of having to see certain relatives at Christmas. You know, but a lot of you might have that one. You might say, you know, I got that one. Or meliagrisophobia. That's the fear of turkeys. You didn't realize that people can be afraid of turkeys, maybe, but, uh, you know. And phonophobia, that's the explosions. You know, in in Great Britain, they have these things where they they pull and it pops. And and there's people that are afraid of that. Then there's gabophobia. That's the the fear of being watched as you open a gift. You know, people have some of that. And then phagophobia. That's the fear of uh, eating and swallowing. It probably has something to do with getting choked, you know. And then ecclesiophobia, that's the fear of going to church at Christmas. <laughs> Some people are afraid of going to church. But let me say something to you here. God has something special for you. That is true of everyone. He has a Christmas gift for every last one of us. But here's the story. It is like that gift, if you never open it, it will never, it will just sit around without any joy you see, if you don't come to him, and especially, I mean, some of you are going to say, well, I, I know him, I know him. Let, let me say this to you. It's not about knowing him only. It's coming to him. For lots of people know him, but they will not come to him. So here's the story. God's joyful gift is for you. Let's look at verse 11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Probably most of you skip over that first line there. For unto you. Who is the you? Who is the you there? Are we talking about Israel? For unto you Israel? Is it, or maybe it's unto the mankind. For unto you mankind. Or maybe it's for unto you shepherds. You know what I I know it is. It's for unto you. Right here. Each one of you. It is for unto you was born that day in the city of David, a Savior. Now, look at this also. Jesus was born the Savior. He didn't become the Savior. He was born the Savior. And he was born the Savior for whom? For you. You need to take that personally, folks. Take that very personally because he was born for you. It is more than an intent. It is an accomplished fact. Jesus, our Savior, uh, is our Savior rather, whether or not we trust in him. Whether we trust in him or not, he's still our Savior. Now, I'm not saying everybody's saved. I'm not saying everybody's going to heaven. But that's just who he is. Let's imagine that you're in a hurricane. And the hurricane has flooding. And finally, you're sitting on the rooftop of your house. And here comes a rescue boat. And what you do is, is you look at that rescue boat and say, that's not my style. I think I'll let it go by. Do you understand what I'm trying to say to you? Like that elevator that said, I'll take the next one. You know, because you believe there is a next one. But you see, this is your rescue boat. It's still your rescue boat whether you take it or not. It is still your rescue boat. And he's still your savior whether you receive him or not. And maybe you will not feel so much joy at Christmas because you don't realize what Jesus has done for you in bringing you to the relationship with his father and giving you a relationship with himself and bringing joy into your life because you're still sitting on the roof of your flooded out house and waiting for another rescue boat to come by. 
Well, the rescue boat's already come by. See, people think they can trust in Jesus at any time, but they can't. That is something that needs to get out of people's heads. You know, if you have resisted the Holy Spirit and resisted the Holy Spirit, what, why would you think that you won't resist the Holy Spirit later in life? There's no stories from the, uh, from, you know, the black boxes of, of uh, airplanes that crashed that tell the stories of how many people were suddenly trusting in Jesus. Even as the plane goes down, if they've resisted the Holy Spirit, they'll continue to resist the Holy Spirit. And I will tell you this, no one crawls out of a casket toward the cross of Jesus. No one crawls out of a casket toward the cross of Jesus. See, joy requires accepting the invitation. So the angels give the means of finding the child. Let's go on to verse 12. It says, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on peace on earth, peace among those who with whom He is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, "Let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us." And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. Now it was not unusual to find a child in swaddling clothes. Just baby clothes, you know. It was unusual finding one in a manger. But how are they going to find this child? How they, they're not following a star. I don't care how many Christmas stories you've seen that. There's no evidence that they're following a star here. So how are they going to find this star? Well, let me explain a little bit of what would have happened. And I, I'm going to kill your, your, your um, nativity sets. I'm sorry. But here's the story. It says the Romans would have required if people owned property to go to the place where they owned property in order to be counted in the census. You know why they wanted to do that? They want to collect taxes. Let's just be honest with you. That's what they want to do. And so if you go into a city where you owned property, more than likely you would have maybe inherited it because it was a city that there were some relatives there. You understand? And when you go to a place where you have relatives, what do you, where do you typically stay? With the relatives. This is the thing that happens with most of us. We all go to the, uh, we are all visiting, we're going and staying in. And where do they put us? They put us in a spare room. That word that they used in the Greek is the word kataluma. Kataluma means spare room. It does not mean in. Though it could be translated that, but that's a a more rare exception to that rule. Because the word is pandaxio. Pandaxio means in that you would go into. uh, They would have called it also a a caravansarium, which means if you were traveling in a caravan, you would have stayed there. It would have been a public place. That's not what this is. This is Cataluma that is there. So what happens is, is that, so you, Joseph was not this not too bright guy. I'm going to say it this way. 
who would take his wife, nine months pregnant, on a donkey, across all of this place. He went there for the time of being in that that caravan. And I can tell you from the Middle Easterners I know, you don't come and stay for a night with them. They, I mean, I had one of them invite me and said, you don't have to stay long, just maybe two months. You understand? So this is the case. This is what happens with him. So, so he would have gone there and he would have stayed with his family that was there. But guess what? Other family members also own property there. Guess who they were going to stay with? They're going to stay in the same house. And so the time comes for the baby to be born and there's not any privacy. Not in that spare room. And so what they're doing is, is they say, and it was just really part of the house. They would have gone out into the stable and they would have had the baby there. Now, is it any less humbling? No, it was a very humble thing to think that the son of God was born in a stable. Yes, that's still as absolutely true as it ever has been. And that he is in a manger. That is the truth as well. Well, Bethlehem, which means house of bread, is not that big. It was not that big. And so even at night, can you imagine, what do you think the family members did after the baby is born? They came out to the stable, didn't they? Stable was exposed outside. It's pretty easy to find the child in the manger with the swaddling clothes on because you just go to the house where all the people are. Do you understand? And so the, the, the uh, shepherds go out and they, they, they do this. They find it. But here's the important thing is that they went and they did discover this. Now, one of the things that we discovered during COVID is that we needed an online presence. So we have, we have cameras up here. You can see them on the walls back here as far as all that goes. And we, we video live and we, um, we do it by uh, delay, the, on demand, if you want to call it that. You can, you can watch the services. So you can, you can see the services in that way. But there was another thing that we learned about that online presence. The online presence isn't the same as being there. And if you think that it's the same as being there, you throw a party and tell them, everybody, it's going to be a Zoom party. You know, in other words, you can say, well, we're all going to gather around our computers and we're going to have a Zoom party. Which would, which would uh, be better, do you think? I think being there is really much, much better. So what you do when you have a party along these lines is that you accept the invitation. And how is it known that you've accepted the invitation? You might RSVP, I got that. But you show up. You show up. And that's what these guys did. Why? Why would I invite you to a wedding? Why would I invite you to the birth? Why would I invite you to a baptism? Because it's a joyful occasion. And if you don't get that, you don't get that, you've not, you've not gotten the story here. It was the joy. You see, what should happen when we have a baptism, one of the things I love about it, our church here, is that we applaud and we, I mean, sometimes people have shouted out loud and they, they've, they've said, you know, there's a joy that is there that happens when somebody is, is baptized. When we have a wedding, when I say I declared you to be husband and wife and, and, you know, and everything, people applaud, you know, especially after I say you may kiss the bride and they're judging whether he does a good job with that or not. But whether or not this is the case, there's a joy that goes on in that. I've never understood how somebody can come to church and look like they've been sucking oatmeal through a gas pipe because they've got an opportunity to meet with God. 
So the shepherds gave a testimony of joy. Let's go on here to verse 17. Verse 17. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that has been told them concerning the child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. You realize that there's very little chance that Joseph's family would have known those shepherds. There would have been guys that just showed up. And you imagine what they were telling the story? Well, you see, we were out watching our our sheep and and we left them because the angel showed up. And I'm telling you what, the angel showed up and it was incredible. You know, and and Mary's listening to that story. She's listening to that story and says, wow, wow. And that was their testimony. Let me say something, folks. You better have a testimony too. You better have a testimony too in which you have had an encounter with God. And it is a testimony about how you heard about the Savior. It will be a testimony about how the Savior drew you to himself. And so, and if, if I were to call on you today, would you be able to get up and say, this is my testimony? This is what I have experienced because God drew me in. And he used my mom, he used my dad, he used whoever it might be. In that process, you heard the gospel story. And a joy erupted. But this joy should not end with Christmas. Let's read verse 20. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it was told them. It says Mary treasured these things in their heart. But the shepherds, they went out and told it. You see... I can, I can see these shepherds going back. You see, because they were nomadic, they may not be with the same shepherds every time they go. And so they, this, this one might be with a, three or four others that are, you know, he never, they weren't with them on that night. And, and, he, and he's sitting around the campfire and says, let me tell you what happened to me last week. Let me tell you what happened to me three months ago. Let me tell you what happened to me two years ago. And they tell the story of the angel appearing and they tell about the angels flying around. They see the glory of God and they're telling these people this story it was a story for lowly shepherds to tell even to other lowly shepherds it was a story of God's grace it was a story of joy for the joy is in telling the story I want you to test me on something I want you to test me on this I'd like to hear this from you You tell somebody very soon about how you found Jesus. Tell somebody. It doesn't have to be somebody that's lost, that doesn't know Jesus. Tell somebody. And, and And also when you do this, tell them how Jesus found you. I have this testimony that I would believe that you would have. Joy will erupt in the telling of that testimony. Pray with me.